The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello, and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. This week, we dive into the topic of holistic psychology. We go deep with psychologist Avanti Singh. Avanti opens up about her approach to practicing mind-body-spirit psychology. I wanted to share Avanti with you because she is not your average psychologist. She is a Deepak Chopra meditation teacher and Ayurvedic practitioner who has had a journey dealing with her own health challenges. Her IVF experience was a catalyst for huge transformation, and it was after this that she opened up her counselling business in Sydney, where she uses not only talking therapy, but also breathwork, bodywork, meditation to open up clients so that they can connect deeply to themselves, others, and to the spirit. The principles of her practice are based on awareness, connection, transformation, recreation. We talk in depth about her experience through IVF and how it made her grow and create what she has today. Avanti reminds us that we are birthing things on a daily basis, that we are creative beyond words, that baby making is about creativity. We discuss many things, including the rise of the feminine, the pandemic of disconnection, and the power of yoga and solitude. I hope you enjoy our chat. Avanti, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Dr. Tash. It's so special having you here. <laughs> thank you. It's nice being here. It's exciting. I'm, I'm really excited because I'm going to find out exactly what you do when I send a patient to you. Mm-hmm. But before we talk about that, I wanted to ask you why you chose psychology. Okay. I found this a bit tricky <laughs> because I think that um, psychology chose me. I didn't actually think about my psychology as a um, as a choice. Um, it wasn't sort of like a conscious decision. So when I think back to university and and at that time, I I feel like it was almost like there was nothing to think about. Um, and I think that when I you know, look at my life and my study and my work and my life, I don't really compartmentalise them. So maybe um, studying psychology was kind of a way of personal growth for myself as well as something that I was going to study to help other people um, with. Um, and, And to be really honest with you, I don't ever think of myself as a psychologist. I tend to resonate more with spiritual educator, uh, you know, anything anything that actually transcends a title. Um, maybe even spiritual educator doesn't transcend. But maybe I feel- sing- singologist, you know, sing, <laughs> sing your own line of psychology, singology. <laughs> singology, I should change the name of my business. <laughs> You're a singologist. <laughs> I like yeah. that. And that's why I think, I yeah, I've connected with you and why I love sending or recommending women to see you because you are different. Mm. You know, you you do do things differently. Mm. Um, when you were studying psychology, 
was there a point when you were studying your degree when you thought, oh, this is really good, however? I think I've thought that all the way through <clears throat> and maybe that's something innate that I'm always questioning and challenging and, and all of that. But, yeah, I think um, – Psychology for me is uh, is good in many respects, but I think it and I think it's a really good grounding. But I think it does not, in in my mind, um, it does not really go into that sort of holistic mind body spirit dimension. But having said that, William James, who was actually, you know, one of the first psychologists, was actually a you know. A psychic, a medium. So I think psychology has somewhat moved away from what it originally was. So maybe in some ways I'm actually a true psychologist <laughs> and I just don't admit it. Um, but I much prefer um, reading about William James and people like that than maybe some of the um, psychologists that came away after him. William James. Was he American? Where was he from? Yeah, I think he was American. Okay. Um, now, speaking of Americans, you are <laughs> very much connected with Dr. Deepak Chopra. Tell us more about your connection with Deepak. I guess the connection with Deepak Chopra for me came probably over a decade ago now and I – felt like a pull to the Chopra Centre in San Diego after what I would call a huge life transition where I went through, you know, IVF um, that didn't work out. I went through marital breakdown, life breakdown. Everything was falling away um, and, you know, went through all of the, the yuck emotions that go along with that and, I really had um, an experience of once I'd gone through the muck, I I sort of felt like the, I connected to this real stillness within my Sydney apartment. It felt like I was the forest people of, you know, the ancient um, uh, texts, the Upanishads talk about the forest people going into the forest to do yoga. I felt like my Sydney apartment turned into that. And the reason why I'm saying this story to lead into the Chopra Centre was um, that after this period of stillness and connection and I felt very connected to spirit, to universe, to God, to whatever you'd like to call it, um, there was this immense amount of like peace. There was not much thinking. There was not much doing. There was no reading, journaling. There was none of that. There was just a sense of overwhelming like um like solitude and sacredness. And after that time, there was this move towards things like Ayurveda, um, which is an ancient healing system that I'm sure we'll talk more about. And Chopra Centre uh, was holding courses that really kind of drew me in, seduction of spirit, journey into healing. Um, I just sort of thought, you know, I really need to be there. Um, and I did. I did some amazing courses with them um, that opened up my world into more um, holistic look at the body um, and definitely then 
um, the power of meditation. And I felt like once I'd done those courses, I thought, no, I need to kind of go further with this. Um, so I did. I, I looked at how to become um, a an instructor with the Chopra Centre. And so I looked at doing um, a number of courses with them and one of them was meditation. And, yeah, so I think Deepak Chopra really for me brings together science and spirituality in a really nice way. Um, so I think that was the, the thing. That was the attraction. It was that, that bringing together of what I would call the old and new, you know, the, the, the science and the occult, you know, and, and it, just, it just felt really like something that I was compelled to doing. I think I did a course and that's where I met you. You were doing, you were teaching meditation because you taught me how to meditate and you gave me a mantra that I still use today. Yes. Uh, that was deep. Was that Deepak, Deepak Chopra teachings that you were using? Yes. So the course that you did with me was called Primordial Sound Meditation, which is actually the meditation that, um, that yes, that I'm, um, that I teach. And it is the course that I learned through the Chopra Center. So it's, it's actually using a sound to meditate. It's using a mantra. A mantra is a instrument of the mind. And it's um, one of the ways in which you can meditate. So yes, you did do the course with me and that's how we met. And yeah, so. So you run meditation courses officially or do you incorporate that into your uh, sessions with each patient? Well, I do both. And um, so definitely if somebody comes to see me um, for counselling that I weave um, meditation in there, sometimes people come to see me only for individual meditation sessions. I have run group meditation sessions um, of which you were a part of. Um, I think what I really want to do now is also take it online Um, and that's come Yes, possibly because of the pandemic stuff, but I think it's mostly come because I've always wanted to do it. And so I do want to also do some online courses as well. So, yeah, there's a number of ways. When you see people and you bring up the word meditation, mm. are most people receptive to the idea of it? Are they curious or are there some people where they are, they really just have a block to it and don't want to do it? Yeah, look, I think there are a lot that are open to it, but I think the blocks um, – are mainly around, look, I can't do it because I've tried doing it, but I think. So I think too much and that therefore I, I can't do it and, and I'm, not, I'm not doing a good job. And so I think one of the, the great things about learning meditation with the Chopra Center for me was really learning what meditation was. It's not necessarily, um, you know, being a monk on the mountain. It's actually really understanding that thoughts are part of the process of meditation. There are many experiences you can have during meditation and thinking is one of them. But the idea is to, um, as you know, if you're using a mantra, using the breath or whatever you're using, it's to actually notice the thinking and then come back to the breath. Or in my case, because I teach mantra meditation, it's coming back to the mantra. So what's really good is kind of demystifying some of that stuff with meditation, really getting people to understand, you know, that doesn't really matter the experience you're having in meditation. Actually, the benefits will come out of that meditation experience. It will come during daily activity. So um, I think that, that yeah, a lot of my clients, I, I try and do a bit of education around 
um, what what the experience can be and how you just kind of you know get get better at kind of observing and coming back. And I I, I shouldn't say getting better because I don't think it's about getting better. I don't think it's about an outcome. It's actually just about noticing coming back to the mantra. And are there any cool apps that you could recommend our listeners go to if they wanted to start meditating? I'm a big fan of Insight Timer. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of it because of the fact that there's 45,000 free meditations on it. There's also a brilliant timer that goes along with it. So you can use the timer to do a mantra meditation that you might have, you may have learned from someone else. Um, and, you know, it gives you like a progress report if you're interested in that sort of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I, I normally direct towards Insight Timer, but I think there's lots that people love. They love Headspace, they love Calm. Um, I think, yeah, find something that works for you. Yeah, I've tried all of those and I have to say Insight Timer by far is my favourite. I also like the fact that you can, when you're on it, uh, can you can see that other people are meditating around the world and in yeah. different places and it makes you feel really connected to people. Absolutely. I think that is a definitely um, a plus and um you know I, f- I like the fact that they've it makes it easy to use um by you can filter by time amount of time you've got um there's some great meditations or some great um uh tools there for sleep and um there's podcasts there's talks so yes um I think um it's probably the one that I normally Actually, it was the one that the Chopra Centre recommended actually all those years ago. So that, you know, I've been using it for a long time. And are there any meditations you would go through with a client of yours that's specific for fertility? Say if a woman comes to see you and she's just going through an IVF cycle, is there anything that you would recommend specific to someone like that? Um, only in, uh, you're talking about only meditation? Yeah, from a meditative perspective. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I guess also with meditations, I mean, because I, I teach the um, mantra meditation, I um, I would probably give them maybe a different mantra. So when I teach um, primordial sound meditation, the idea is to use a mantra based on your time of birth, place of birth, date of birth. Um, so you would have got that from me when we did the course. But People don't have to do that. Um, I think if somebody was coming to me and um, uh, with stuff around fertility, I'd maybe think about using Ahambra Masmi, which is, you know, I am the universe. You know, I, I, I like mantras. I like the fact that, you know, we can use sound because I think there's so much that and you and I were talking about this earlier, and there's so much to sound and music that transcends and just gets you into a certain energy without a lot of work um, that maybe I would just change up the mantra. But then, of course, with with fertility um, clients and any other client that I see, I also um, would, you know, do different visualisations and definitely more body practices, getting more connected with body as well. So I think one of the main things that I really focus on with the 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 people that you send me is how they really deal with connection to the body, how they get deeper into whatever's being held in the body. So whether, you know, we could call that a meditation as well, that awareness on body. 
Um, and that's probably where I would focus more on with, with the fertility is how um, there's a kind of like an unlocking of any energy that's that's been contracted or tightened or held in the body and how we come back to that um, and I'm saying come back to because I think it is our natural state but we've moved away from it um, as a society. We've moved away from the body. We've moved away from nature. We've moved away from like our own innate wisdom. Um, and so, you know, the focus for me in many sessions is how I open up this person to um, a, a deeper connection with themselves and their body. Yeah, so a common problem that I encounter is a, a woman just can't have sex or if she does have sex she has a lot of pain. And, yeah, we always say, okay, perhaps see pelvic floor physio. However, we should also be sending them to perhaps someone like yourself. So say I'm a woman and I, I really I just can't have sex because it just hurts. Mm-hmm. Take me through that. As yeah, a, I mean, uh, you actually you. have sent me um, some some clients where that has been one of the main issues. And I guess um, anywhere where there is pain, I would slowly, and this is obviously a very slow process, um, you know, I would definitely do a lot of more grounding and centering and then take them to, through a process of actually fully experiencing the pain. So normally when we have pain in the body, there's kind of a, uh, and I think we're all conditioned for this, no, none of us want to be with pain. None of us wants to be with discomfort. We've kind of been taught that we've all got to be comfortable and happy and joyous all of the time. And so we've moved away from actually really truly being with the body. And this is coming from somebody who is a, you know, a, has turned that into an art form. Um, so I'm not kind of talking as somebody who has always been connected to body because I've had the experience of not being connected and then learning that as you actually learn to stay with the pain, stay with the contraction, um, you start to open up parts of self, parts of self that you've disconnected from. And I think that is one of the key things in working with the clients that you send me in working with a lot of my clients in working with people with trauma or anxiety or whatever it is. It's how they start to own the disconnected parts of themselves. And the way we do that is through the body. The body is a great portal for getting into and opening up whatever is locked and held. And so if somebody comes with pelvic pain, then we, we start to slowly learn how to stay with that. And as you stay with that, you, you're placing attention on the place that has contraction. What naturally happens is you are then creating more flow because there's less resistance. So whatever you resist staying with persists, you know, the old saying goes. And so what we try and do is actually open up to the person staying with it allowing this kind of opening up of this energy and an opening up of, you know, resource. And it's, and it's not about getting them to feel good. It's not about fixing it. You know, it's not about making it go away. It's actually about turning toward it and how we really be with it and what comes from that. Yeah, so how do you, how do you educate someone or encourage someone to feel the pain? 
to get into it. Like if I've got pain in my elbow and it's a chronic pain and it just doesn't go away. Mm. I mean, I suppose it might take a lot of sessions and it might be too difficult to simplify, but where would be the first place you may start? Yeah, some of it is probably um, going to be difficult to simplify, but, I mean, for example, you know, you can use a technique called titration, which is, you know, a real slow process of getting the person to um, get into what I would say is a, probably a place of trauma if it's um, – and I know no, not all pain is, is about trauma, but let's just say it is about trauma – because um, I do see a lot of, of um, clients that come with trauma from IVF or from anything else that, um, you know, we can do a process of getting them to tighten at the very core place of where the pain is held, tighten and hold and loosen and tighten, hold and loosen. It's a very slow, gradual process. So imagine if if you've got a, a Coke bottle with a um, the cap screwed on tightly and you shake that Coke bottle and all of that shaken energy is kind of held in the body, held in a particular place in the body, you know, the process wouldn't be to just unscrew that cap because you know what will happen, it will explode. So the idea with these sort of techniques is to be really slow, use the breath, you know, take them in, let them feel what's going on there. But the idea is for them to stay with the sensations. So slowly opening that, that slowly that opening, yeah. tightening again, slowly yeah. opening, and so there's a slow release. So, yeah, it 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 um it might it sort of may be a bit difficult to completely explain the process, but it definitely is a slow process of unlocking what is held there, and definitely it's about the therapist making the person feel safe. You can't do that unless a person feels safe. Um, and I and I find that that is one of the things that um, with uh, fertility clients in particular, it's about how they feel safe to be in their bodies and experience whatever they're experiencing. Um, and I think um, from from doing you know counseling now for for a long time, it's it's something that we really need to. Um, get back to is how we really inhabit our bodies fully and claim like it's a reclaiming of the body. Um, I think there's a, there's sort of a shifting on the planet now. Um, we can see it, you know, with global protests, global pandemics, and and I think the shift is really about um, the rising feminine energy. I think we've had a an a kind of a dominant um, masculine that has probably gone out of control, not probably, has gone out of control. Um, and although we need both energies, I think, you know, the the balancing of those energies now involves a rising of the feminine. And that's definitely about body. You know, I know we can get into debate about what the masculine, the feminine is, but, you know, the masculine we can say is more about mind and, and the feminine more about body. And so I think what we're seeing now, you know, through the people that I see in sessions, through the world, is this rising feminine. You and so, sorry, mm. you mentioned earlier that women going through IVF may experience trauma. Mm. 
Can you talk about that? What does that look like? Well, I mean, you know, some of the people that you send me have um, have been through some IVF rounds, sometimes a few, and, and have not um, fallen pregnant from them and, and it leaves them holding on to, uh, you know, a lot of um, – a lot of pain and I think, you know, trauma is any, you know, any distressing or, or frightening or um, painful event that kind of leaves us with with a real contraction and tightening in the body and almost like an immobilisation, almost like a frozenness and, you know, unable to be with, unable to open up to and, so yes, I, I feel like um, definitely from having my own journey in IVF, um, you know, I certainly felt that as well throughout um, parts of that, which was not only about the IVF process, but you know, lots of um, experiences I had in my life. But I feel like that that there is really a, a, a you know, I'll say pandemic of disconnection really on the planet, and I see it playing out in the people that I see. So with the IVF um, clients, it's it's this these events of, you know, going and having the 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 egg collection or the transfers and and things like that, um, and it not working out. You know that whole process and and has left them with this like real kind of um, like uh, sensations and uh, emotions of pain. Um, and, you know, again, it's not only about what's gone on for them during the IVF process. It could be stuff that it's triggered from childhood, from relationships. I mean, it's a lot more complex than, you know, maybe simply just the, what they've experienced in IVF. But what what I work with is how they gain access to whatever is uncomfortable and get them also to see their journey as part of a larger journey as well. I think it's an important thing for us on the planet to see each of our journeys as part of the larger story. So, you know, that the women that I see that um, are not having babies or are having babies or whatever it may be, that, you know, seeing our journey as part of this larger collective journey where we're, we're actually you know, there's a waking up of the feminine, there's a waking up of us, um, particularly in the body. Um, and the f- waking up of feminine, not only in females, but in, in men as well. Um, and um, did I answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> we, oh, I tend oh, to go oh, off oh, on No, to... on that note, uh, do, you, do you actually go through any exercises with these women? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see a patient and she's about to go through her fifth IVF cycle. Mm. And uh, regardless of the reason why she's going through it, the causes of the infertility, she's going through her fifth IVF cycle. How would you advise her going into that egg collection or embryo transfer? Would you give her any any tips, any words of advice for going into that physically, walking into that building, and then you know ending up on that bed, and then having that anesthetic, and then going through all the, that process? How would you guide her? Um. Yeah, look, I, I don't direct or, or advise, but definitely I open and and I think for me my role is my role is opening. I think um, 
Yeah, which is probably why I named my business My Prana Portal. I feel like I open up and what I would open up there is um, a letting go of outcome, which is probably hard to say that to somebody like you. Um, um, Because I know that the IVF clinics, you know, try to be outcome focused and come up with percentages and all sorts of things. But um, it is, it's a letting go of outcome because, you know, um, part part of the journey with these women and these couples, um, with the people that I see is how they connect to, un- you know, a real deep understanding of um the the mind is really seeking something external to fulfill. It's really a feeling of I lack. I lack because I don't have baby. I lack because I don't have spouse. I lack because I don't have money. I I you know that IVF journey is part of the I I I lack something. It's a lacking of wholeness. You know, healing and, and wholeness is synonymous. So when I'm dealing with these clients, it's about how um, I connect them to all parts of themselves, you know, the part that's, that is yearning for baby, the part that is, you know, resilient in so many ways. Um, I would also um, get them to understand that actually when you have this mind that's saying actually I lack and this, and this state that's saying actually if I get baby, I will feel whole and happy and fulfilled and like everybody else, that that mindset is what you take to the next thing. So if you then go through the rounds and you get baby, the mindset is still there. And then the mindset is I have baby, but now I don't have this in my life. And that's what I see because I have people coming to me for, you know, they've gone through the rounds, they've now had baby. And they come in and, and and this is what I say, it's actually, it's it's not really about the external thing giving you something. This is where we've got to stop with the, you know, I am lacking something. It, you know, the baby is not going to give you whatever it is you're seeking. Wow. That's powerful. It is. And I love that. It that, is. And yeah. I think once we learn that, and I mean, I had to learn in a pretty hard way as well because I had a few rounds of IVF and and I didn't end up having baby. And, you know, people would describe my journey as failed IVF and I don't think of it as that now after doing a lot of hard, hard, hard spiritual work. But the external stuff, I think we've been conditioned to believe that everything exists outside of us. So we need to gain um, whatever it is we need to gain that will give us this this um, sense of feeling whole. And I think it's essentially, uh, you know, feeling whole. Um, so that is part of 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 the the therapy that I do. Let's look at conditioned beliefs. Let's look at um, what happened, you know, as a child. What did we learn? I mean, we learned a lot as a child about. Um, uh, being told what to do, being told what was right. A lot of my clients battle with, you know, they're not feeling like everybody else because they're not married with kids. I mean, you know, there's this kind of like um, story that is a very narrow story. 
you know, that in order to be a happy, fulfilled person, you've got to have a life of being with a partner and having kids and doing that sort of thing. And if you sit outside of that, well, then, you know, you're a bit, you're a bit weird or um, there's something not quite right. I think what's what people find even more odd is when you are happy to not have those things. They find that very challenging. People find that extremely challenging. They do. To speak to a woman who openly says, I actually don't want children and I'm not fussed about being single. Yes. That, that throws people big Gross. time. And I can relate because I'm one of those women. Yes, you, you know? are. And I, You're uh, probably I, one of the happiest people I know. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't judge anyone for anything. No. You know, you want eight kids, fantastic. You go for it and I'll help you. If you want that, I'm not going to judge you, but please – don't judge me because I am the opposite of you. Yeah, and we're not into many ways. This is the thing. I think we're needing to move to multiplicity, you know, which is why I kind of, you know, like some of the the Hindu teaching. I mean, nothing overly religious with what I do, but I do love some of those influence because I like the multiplicity of it. You know, there are many ways in which to think and feel and be and act. And, you know, if, if people have a problem with, you being single without kids or whatever. I mean, it's something that they need to look at within themselves. It's not about you. It's about really what they – it's that part of the self that they don't want to be with. Um, but, yeah, so I guess, you know, you know, a lot of the clients that I see where, you know, they're about to do the process, it's about stay with the intention. Like what is your intention what is the energy of what you want to create? Okay, what is motherhood energy? You know, I do a lot of this, like, what does that feel like? Motherhood is not just about biological stuff. You know, there's a spiritual journey to motherhood that is about the mature feminine. So we do a journey on, on that. And um, also I feel like if we kind of – work with the conditioning, which is the belief systems we we get almost downloaded with, you know, the beliefs about I, the beliefs about others, the beliefs about life, that's really a download throughout childhood from parents or from society, you know, those really stay with us. The I am not enough, I am not worthy, I am invisible, I'm not seen, I'm not heard, all of those. Um, and there are many of them. I, I kind of try and kind of unfold that in the sessions as well and how we start to really recognise the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. That's a really important story. So I work with that. So what's important with the clients you send me is not really that they're going through IVF, but what are they telling themselves about that? About the fact that they're going through it. Yeah. And what that means. Everything is about that. Mm. I mean, I can be somebody – with a child, with a house, with $5 million in the bank, still thinking, yeah, this is not quite enough. Mm. It's not about the external stuff. It's actually about what am I thinking about this stuff? And so what we start to do is start to, um, you know, re-mythologize the story, as Jean Houston would say. We recreate the story. You know, we kind of um, consciously choose our thinking now instead of thinking the old conditioned stuff, which is really hard not to think when you've, you know, when you actually have a subconscious system that plays like a tape recorder, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, I, I, that's also part of of, um, of what I do in therapy as well. You mentioned earlier that there is a pandemic of disconnection. Yes. 
and you've brought up the whole thing about people feeling that they lack many things or lack X, Y, Z. Why, what, what do you think that people are lacking the most that you see over, overall, uh, worldwide? What, what is lacking? Um, wow, that's a hard one, right? Because it's one thing you want, to, want me to yeah, tell but, you. But I yeah. would say we're lacking the… Is it gratitude? You know, because you, you talk about people feeling that they're lacking, but then if, you're, if, you, if your mindset is always that of gratitude, then you don't have time to think about lacking. Yeah. Look, I I would say um I would say it is about lacking the I mean, look, to be honest, I don't think we're lacking anything on a fundamental level, right? I think we've got everything you know, we within us. But I think if we're going to talk about it in terms of like what is going on on the planet, I think and in each of us, it's we don't understand ourselves to be whole and we don't understand ourselves to be part of the whole, to be part of the system. So um, I think we think our nervous system is just, you know, the bee's knees and it's not. You know, we, we, you know, we see the, the blood and the bones and we see you and me sitting across here and we see this separateness and beneath, you know, all of this, the true if we truly look at a subatomic level, we're all connected. So I think what we're, why I say disconnection is that's the pandemic is we, we really lack that ability to really understand our true self to be connected to everything and everyone around us. And so this global pandemic is really giving rise to, oh, like, we are really connected now, aren't we? Like we can really feel it now with what's going on on the planet. And and so the disconnection is disconnected to, we're disconnected to the parts of ourself that we don't want to see and don't want to be with. Um, that's a major thing at the moment. If we even think of the Black Lives Matter stuff that's going on, there's so much that, you know, the collective does not want to see about its, mm. you know, its shadow side. Mm. Um and each of us don't want to see our shadow side. I think IVF gives us a really great opportunity to really see the shadow side. And IVF would be an opportunity for growth, I could imagine, as well. Uh, earlier you mentioned that the word failed IVF. <laughs> uh, you didn't see it that way for you. And when you said that, I went, wow, that's powerful because we do use the word failed IVF treatment all the time. You know, patient has gone through X amount of cycles, failed IVF, failed, failed IVF, failed this, failed that, failed embryo transfer. And it made me think, wow, we need to reframe that completely, don't we? It's a bit like premature ovarian failure. We used to say the word premature ovarian failure, but then there was a call for no, we need to rename this. Mm. So now we call it premature ovarian insufficiency, which right. still is quite clinical, but at least it's not the word failure. Yeah. What should we be saying when a woman goes through an IVF cycle and it doesn't work? What, do you, what, what would you say we should use instead of the word failure? Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> Can, uh, loaded, loaded question that one. Oh, that is hard. Um, Maybe would you would you talk through someone uh, about that? Like if you saw me and and I'd been through a couple of IVF cycles, would you work with me to come up with a term to describe what I've been through? 
Would that help? I think if you were fixated on the word failed, yes. I think, look, the reason why I think that's not a great way to describe things is because I, I also think about, you know, what it is to be a woman and how a lot of us are caught up in the story of our bodies have to work and it has to have a baby and if it doesn't have a baby, then I'm not a woman. That's the story that I see playing out in the sessions and it's actually a really hard story. And I know we need to be with that story. Um, I certainly knew I had to be with that story. But when you think about it, it's actually um, it's actually really defining that event in a in a very black and white way. You know, I think you know some of us can say, "Yeah, black and white, it was it was a failure." And yeah, we, look, there is a side of it that yes, we can go down that track. But um, I, I I don't call it failure for myself because it was such once I really got past the um understanding that you know baby making is really about creativity in its essence that's what we're all wanting all of us men and women we're really wanting to birth something right um if it doesn't happen with biological baby there's many ways to do that and if I didn't go through the IVF that did not give me biological baby, I wouldn't have birthed my business and I wouldn't be part of many women's journeys of baby, no baby, whatever it is. That's my way of saying I don't know the answer. Maybe yeah. making <laughs> but, about creativity. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, the sacral area, which is where the, the uterus is, in, you know, when we're looking at the chakra system is creativity. Is it? Yes. So What colour is that again? Orange. Orange. Like your jumper. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate for today. I didn't even know that was going to come up. That's kind of spooky. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know what? I think, um, I think I'd like to think about that with you maybe. We, I mean, and maybe with some of the women that have been mm. through it. But um yeah, I, I, and maybe it's part of my own journey that I don't want to see myself as failing. You know, I always try and take it back to me. Um, I always think of energy. It's like this is we've got this energy allowance, and that yes. energy needs to go somewhere. Yes. And if it, if it doesn't go down that path because there's resistance or there's a blockage or whatever, then it has to go somewhere else. I love it. And, and and that might manifest in amazing business or, um, you know, you're an, an author, you're, I don't know. But it doesn't go anywhere else if it stays locked in the body. Mm. And that's where the unlocking Let's and doing the body work. Let's talk about the body now and, and body, body work versus talk therapy. Yeah, look, I think if you only stay with talk therapy. Um, Can you explain to our listeners what talk therapy is? Um, for me, it's when therapist and client will actually just that. There's only a, you know, a dialogue and a talking through. It, it, it can still be obviously helpful. I think it's still important when you're talking with therapists or talking out things and, you know, verbally process, you know, verbally kind of releasing or processing things. Absolutely. I don't want to now like, you know, um, offend every talking therapist out there. But um, I certainly feel that if there's a real potential to stay 
only at the level of the problem and the story. Um, and yes, you can reframe things, you can change um, the way you think of things, you can come up with new ways and affirmations and they're all, all of those things, but the body will still be holding on to things um, and you'll still be resisting things um, even as you say, I feel great today and I'm going to bounce out of bed. I mean, you can try it, saying I love life every morning and some mornings you're saying I love life and the body's doing this, like tightening. And so there's this kind of real disconnection between this mind and body. There's this like moving, you know, moving ourselves too quickly into something that feels more positive by way of thinking, but yet the body is still holding on to the old stuff. And so you've got to be able to work with both. You've got to be able to go into the body and deal with how you're releasing that energy as well. So yeah, for my type of therapy, I feel like you've got to do both. So a, a good way of working with the body would be something like yoga when you say working with the body. I mean, deep deep breathing, how, how else can we do that? Definitely breath work. So, yeah, I do a lot of pranayama, which is, you know, um, part of yoga. Um, breath work. I do something called bandhas, which is also pranayama. It's um, it's called uh, a bandha is something that's holding, locking, embracing uh, in the body and you actually hold the body and release the body and hold the body and release the body. Um, so there's so there's bandhas. Um Definitely, as I said, using techniques like that will slowly allow the release of, of um, energy in the body. Pelvic floor exercises are a great example. Of yes, that, aren't they? they are. Mm. Absolutely. I think anytime you're feeling stuck as well, if you think about I'm stuck in my life and people are like, I can't quite think of, you know, getting a free flow of energy in the body because, you know, body – and the thing is body and mind, it's really hard to for me to think of body and mind as separate things. So it's really the new paradigm is body-mind, right? So if we think of it that way, um, I think that's probably the best explanation of why you need talking therapy plus other stuff is body and mind is one thing. You know, the, there's intelligence in every cell of the body. Um, and so, you know, that fundamentally we're silly to think that if we just talk through things that um, uh, we're fully kind of unlocking everything. Do you do much yoga? I've done yoga since 1999, which is when I had um, a really major spinal operation. Um, and so it's always been part of my life. I think it's one of the most powerful things you can do. Uh, and, and I probably shouldn't say you can do because really it's not a, a doing necessarily, but it's a really an eightfold path to life. Um I know when we say yoga a lot in the West, we, we're talking mainly about doing poses on a mat, um, but there's eight other parts of which meditation is one. So I've always done, you know, a lot of facets of yoga. And mo more recently I've gotten back to doing the poses on a mat, on the mat and I, you know, recently sort of thought like why, why did I not do this for the last, you know, 
you two years, you know, because I just find that even even with people with trauma, I think um, getting into the body, I think what's really great about yoga is the yoga poses is it allows us to stay with the discomfort. You know, like when we're in the yoga poses that are, many of them are so uncomfortable, it allows us to kind of stay with the discomfort but have a like a a time perspective to it so that we're in the pose for five breaths or four breaths and it allows us to go, okay, we're with the uncomfortable but actually, you know, in five breaths I can release, I can let go of that, I can get out of the pose. So it gives us a bit more like ability to then move into the discomfort that's in the body. So I think it's very helpful. Mm. So physical and mental stamina, it builds at that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. and I mean it's really the union of everything. I mean yeah. yoga is a union of the, the mental, the spiritual, the physical, um, the emotional the, and definitely the environment. It's really a, mm. a union. That's what yoga means mm. is union. So It's interesting with yoga because I did my. I think my favourite form of yoga is yin yoga. Yeah. And sometimes you do get into a, a pose or a posture and you're like, oh, can I hold this for 10 minutes, really? <laughs> and then you do and after you come out of it, you feel so good. And then uh, my other very, I would say, memorable experience of yoga, and I've done quite a few yoga, you know, types of yoga over the years, was Bikram yoga. So I did a session of Bikram and I thought I was going to die. I really, I nearly started having a panic attack in the classroom because I was so uncomfortable and so uncomfortable with the fact that I felt really hot. I was sweating. There was this carpet underneath me that smelt really uncomfortable, like just disgusting because everybody else's sweat. And the teacher did not allow me to, she didn't allow me to leave the room. She just said, lie down and just breathe. And I did and I recovered and then I started participating in the class again. When I left that class, I felt this immense relief but almost euphoria to the point where I thought, I'm going back. I'm definitely going to do that again. But I didn't because the thought of actually going into that and being that uncomfortable again Mm -hmm. just didn't sit well with me. What would you say to that? Should I have gone back because it was uncomfortable but then I came out feeling so good? Should I have gone back? I don't know much about Bikram yoga, but um, and I know it's not just about Bikram yoga; it's about the discomfort. Um, look, I don't think you had to go back because again, it's not about that external class, you know, that external thing. It was probably more about what's the discomfort I don't mm. want to be with. Mm. So I think I would probably have pointed you. I always point people in. Yeah, what what's making you feel uncomfortable yeah, and why? Like, and feel and feel it in the body. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit like if someone can't have children, what is it about not having children that you're not comfortable with? Mm. Yeah. Do you see many men who are going through IVF treatment with their with their um partner, or is it mainly women that you see? Mainly women. I'd like to see more men. Um, I always love it when I have men coming in because I think you know there's um. You know, there's kind of work to be done, I think, for all of us. And I think we, you know, therapists, I think, see, tend to see more women. Um, but yeah, definitely the IVF journey. I, if a woman comes into me, I will try and get um, a partner, you know, men or women coming with them for some of the sessions. 
Um, but look, I think it's important again, you know, it's about the system. So, you know, what is happening in the home is really important. What's happening in the relationship is really important. Um, but I think if people aren't wanting to be part of therapy, it's never going to really be beneficial. Couples that break up after or during the IVF process, why, why does that happen? Uh, look, I mean, my personal experience was, you know, after my IVF journey, my marriage broke down. Um, and, you know, looking back on my own experience, I, I don't think it was just about the IVF. I think the, there was a lot of disconnection between the two of us and a lot of ways in which we ran our course and then the IVF just kind of brings up a lot that's that's beneath the surface. Um, that's my own experience. I mean, <clears throat> for all the other people that I see, um, look, I think, it, it, you know, any experience that you go to, through that actually really requires you to go in so deep and into such dark places and to really go into the shadow and the unconscious, I think you've got to have a partnership that really fosters that kind of deep connection and then growth that comes out of that. Um, if, if one or both partners aren't willing to really be with the darkness, um, then it's never going to work. Can you share any any feel good stories with us? Any any clients that you've had that have really resonated with you and bring a smile to your face? Oh yeah, I think um, one of the women that you sent to me, I think she came to me. She was about forty one, I think, and she came to me and she was, you know really amazing with her career as an engineer and um, you know really mindful person had done a lot of work on herself and you know had um, I think she was still in a relationship when she came to me or maybe just leaving a relationship I can't quite remember now but anyway her thing was I'm 41 and I thought by this time in my life I would have found this amazing woman, amazing partner, and she would have been the one to have the baby. You know, she would have been the one to get pregnant. Um, and we really kind of. As in the partner that she was looking for. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, because I'm not going to be able to do that. Like I'm not going to, like I won't be able to, like look, imagine me being pregnant. Imagine me with the belly. Imagine me walking into the engineering firm and, and – Is that because she was too masculine and not feminine enough, you know, when you talk about masculine and feminine? She – I mean, she may have thought of herself as that. What I found was when she came in and maybe it's just, you know, some of my, I think, um, I think um, – Abilities, I think, is to really feel into someone's potential before they feel into it sometimes. Um, and I thought she was quite innately feminine. Um, but obviously, there's, you know, that both those energies are in us all. But I just kind of, we really just opened up that, you know, like how can we just open that up so that you move more into unknowing? So sometimes I think knowing 
is not a great thing because what we tend to do is think the same things. We think those subconscious program think thoughts. So all, all we did was do work on the unknown. And it wasn't about, again, I didn't go down baby, the baby route. It was actually let's just let go of all of that. Like if you just let go of that thinking of the stuff that you know um, and be guided by something that is higher than self, right, to be really partnered with your co-creator, right, which I would say is your, your, your highest self, your spirit, your universe. I do call it God. I mean, I, you know, nothing, no, not sort of begging to God in the sky type God, but the, the, the natural laws. If, if we go beyond that, um, beyond the self and beyond these, this conditioned thinking and beyond your feelings, you know, and we just allow, we kind of worked with that process. And in the end, she, she fell pregnant very quickly going through IVF. And even now she talks about it and just. You still see her? I do. Oh, that's great. Once, once every now and then. I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> yes, she's I'm, a wonderful woman. She's a wonderful yeah, woman. She, I yeah. always used to love seeing her. She had this great energy about her. Yeah, yeah, wonderful yeah. woman. She yeah. really is. And she's got the most gorgeous little girl. And, yeah, we, we, we always talk about this, is this, you know, that if she hadn't seen you and you hadn't sent it to me and I'm like, oh, I don't think that's how it works. I reckon this, this little girl would have come to you anyway. Mm. Um, and she's not convinced of that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And look, I think the stories for me, you know, they're not necessarily um, about the feel good. I think they're more about the the authenticity and the allowing and the innate stuff. So I think there are many stories where people have come and have not had babies. Um but have gone through the process and gone, oh, I've just let all that go. Or, yeah, I really get it. Like, actually, I, yeah, I, I, I will adopt. Or, actually, you know what, I'm an aunt. Or, actually, you know what, I want to spend my time, like, teaching kids at school. Or, you know, I want to create this. It's, it's not about the external stuff. Yeah, I love, I love your point about creativity. Yeah. It's just. Gave me goosebumps. We're, we're birthing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On a daily basis. I love that. That's so powerful. <laughs> oh, wow. What am I going to birth today? We're going to birth this podcast. Yes. We're birthing a podcast. It is. I, I feel like I've been, I think this is my second pregnancy has definitely been through COVID time. <laughs> birthing a new part of my business. Do you want to talk but, about that? Well, I mean, I've spent, um, I guess, since COVID time, I felt, I guess I felt my first pregnancy after, um, yeah, after the whole uh, life breakdown of everything. And then, as I said, I felt like I burst my business. And now I feel like I'm birthing either, um, you know, second part of my business, which is hopefully more online stuff and doing more stuff like this, which I, I feel like I haven't really done um, as much as I would like to. So probably having a bit more just conversations like this. I think this opens up so much. Um, conversations online, um, courses. Yeah, I'd love to do a lot more of, um, yeah, definitely just more collaborating with people on projects and things like that. 
And so, how about Ayurveda? Talk, talk to us about that because you've done an Ayurvedic course and where are you with that at the moment? Well, Ayurveda for me, again, always it came to me because of that, um, the premise that, um, he, you know, health is, is really more about vitality, you know, um, whereas the Western model is actually, you know, you're healthy if you're not in disease. And I just found that quite hard for me and my journey was so many years and where I've just felt just not right and totally imbalanced and go to the doctors and they do bloods and they do this and they do that. And it's like, no, you're fine. And it's like, you know, I finally realized when I studied Ayurveda, it was like, oh yeah, health to the Western model is actually, you you don't have disease, so you're healthy. But to the Western, to the um, Eastern model, to the Ayurvedic model is if you don't have vitality, then that's, you're not healthy. And so um, I really was drawn to this 5,000-year-old complete healing system um, that, um, you know, looks at physical turbulence, emotional um, or physical imbalance, emotional turbulence and spiritual disconnect um, and also is based on the five elements of earth and water, fire, uh, air and space. And it looks at three doshas um, or, or constitutions and looks at, say, the makeup of your body and my body. Out of those five elements, I've definitely got more space and air, right? And my dosha is what we would call vata and how my body will get, get more imbalanced um, because, you know, space and air will dominate. And, and so everything about Ayurveda is based on these elements and how we get back to using diet. And the diet is not just food. It's, um, you know, what are we thinking? What are we watching? What are we talking about? Um, you know, through diet, through um, through different treatments, different oil treatments. Um, it's just such a spiritual and beautiful model of healing. And I think it works well with the Western model, although I don't think the Western model really fundamentally, you know, wants to mm. shift and change to work with anything else but itself. Um but I think, you know, it works well because Western model, you know, you can't ignore the benefits of the Western model when you are in disease, you've got a broken arm, you've had a car crash. But I think in terms of imbalance and things that just don't feel right um, on a daily basis, I mean, we do need a model for kind of shifting back. And so, yeah, I definitely um, love Ayurveda. So what I'm doing with Ayurveda, I mean, that's a really good question because I think the, the, the second birthing of my business, I think Ayurveda is going to play more of a part in that. And I'm going back to the Chopra Centre to do really? more study with them. When? Um, well, September, it'll, it'll be online this time, which oh, I'm not happy about because I like going to San Diego. Yeah, San Diego is pretty cool. Yeah, I love San Diego. But you so can I'm, do an online course through the Deepak Chopra Centre. Yes. So I'm going oh. to do the teacher course there and um, – I mean, I am an Ayurvedic practitioner anyway, but um, I just love the Chopra Center. I'm a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a mad follower. So I'll be doing more with them and I think, yeah, I think it will be more Ayurveda. Um, and just, again, you know, I don't, I, I like to see how all of these worlds blend. So my thing is not to just stick to only Ayurveda and only Western model and only psychology. It's like how can everything blend? How can we be more sort of 
integrated because mm. really the whole world is moving towards integration. Mm. And ho- being more wholesome. Mm. And, yeah, who made that rule about having to keep things distinct and separate? But, yeah, I think overwhelmingly people want that. People definitely want the best of this or the thing that, that applies to them the most from this box, that box, you know, from that uh, part of Western medicine, Eastern medicine. And I think combining all of that together when you can is so powerful and people love it. People thrive on that. That's what makes people better. Also knowing that, oh, I've looked at all these different aspects and I'm going to take a little pill from here and a little pill from there to help me. Mm. And then at other times it may be, as you mentioned, if you break an arm, Western medicine is fantastic for that. Brilliant. You know, we take it to the operating theatre. Absolutely. You know, Western medicine does an awesome job, but it doesn't always come to the party. No, and I think, you know, we're actually ignoring the fact that the majority of us do go outside the Western model for our health. Um, And, you know, that essentially I think that's saving Medicare a lot of money. But I don't think we talk about that Mm. because it gets pushed down a little bit and other things take over. But, Mm. um, Mm. yeah, I definitely think we need to open up and realise the importance of using uh, multimodal Yeah, multimodal for sure. I mean you do that with what how you operate at and I think you you're probably unusual yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I just have a lot of friends like you that I could call on to help people. I, I, I'm, I'm always giving out other people's business cards so when people come to my rooms, it's like, hey, I've got this great <laughs> physical therapist, I've got this great psychologist and that's what it's all about because I, can't, I yeah. can't help everyone with every single aspect of, of their health. Oh, you know, I, sleep, I, I'm not a sleep therapist, but, man, there are some people who snore pretty badly and they're not addressing that. Yeah. And uh, I'll send you to a, a you know a sleep specialist, and people often don't even realise that a lack of sleep or not sleeping properly may be what's holding them back in terms of weight loss or even waking up in the morning with vitality or energy, as you said it. You know, yeah, so, and it's such a fundamental thing, sleep. We don't realise how much mm, it actually affects um, just everything. all parts. Yeah, it's the primary pillar of health. Can I ask you some getting to know questions? Getting sure. to know sing sing Avanti sing questions. Uh, which people have been your biggest inspirations in your life? Mm. Um, I think I would have to start with my parents because I think my parents have actually been quite courageous and brave in the way they've kind of left, you know, apartheid South Africa and embarked on a new life without knowing anything. I mean, they really did the stepping into the darkness that I talk about. Um, really when I think about it. Um, so, you know, and they challenge me all the time because they trigger so many things in me. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what parents are meant to do? Um, but, yeah, so definitely them. I think, um, I mean, obviously Chopra, Deepak Chopra. and I think Have you met him, by the way? Yes, and, look, I've got some amazing stories oh, about Please him. tell us at least one. Okay. <laughs> Which one? Okay, I'll tell you the one where actually um, in one of the lectures um, um, he did a talk on radical well-being um, and he was talking about the universe, you know, being 99% dark energy, dark matter, obviously the stuff that we can't see. And um, I think I got up and asked a question, something to the effect of how can we be the knower of the field if 99% of it is dark energy? 
And he answered the question and I was like, great, you know, I got to ask him a question, that's great. So the next day he comes back and he's giving another lecture and he said, the person that asked me and then repeated the question, I thought, Jesus, he's talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes, I thought about that question last night and I was like, you mean I kept wow, Dr. Oprah awake? awake. <laughs> this is unbelievable. <laughs> and I felt like putting my hand up and going, it was me. Um, and then he answered the question. In a di- it was a completely different No, answer. no, no, no. I, I lie. He didn't answer the question. He said it came, it kept me awake and, um, and then I don't think he actually answered it right. And I was like, oh, my God, he didn't actually give an answer. <laughs> So then I was like still pretty chuffed that he, you know, I had stumped Dr. Chopra. But then years later I was back for actually it was exam time at the Chopra Centre for getting my meditation instruction um, certificate and then he walks in, gives a surprise lecture and then I, I actually give him the story. I said, Dr. Chopra, years ago. I asked this question <laughs> and you went away. I stumped you, which was great. And then um, you didn't actually answer the question. He goes, oh, my God, you've been waiting a few years for that. <laughs> and then he answered the question. Wow. What was his answer? Do you remember? Oh, my God. No, no, okay. you stumped me. Oh, okay. he goes, I mean, his answers are yeah. – you can't repeat his answers. Yeah, yeah. They're very complex. He writes books about his answers. He writes books. He's written like way over 80 books. Yeah. But, look, that was one of the – yeah. And I've also just, you know, felt like a real connection with him and then encountered him walking on um, the resort. The Chopra Centre is on a resort, um, you know, a couple of months before, really felt connected, really felt the place in which I was going to meet him and it was the place that I met him on the resort. And I was walking out of the lecture early um, because I'd seen a video they were playing. I went back to my room. To, I was getting some money. And as I was walking back to my room, I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's that's deeper. No, that can't be. And we walked right up to each other and I had a conversation with there without anyone around wow. him. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. So, yeah, he's definitely an inspiration. I think uh, teachers like um, social artists and social activists and spiritual teachers like Marianne Williamson, um, and Jean Houston, and I love people like Russell Brand. Yeah, really? Mm, what yeah. do you like about Russell Brand? Um, you know, incredibly articulate, incredibly intelligent, a real challenger, talking about all the stuff that needs to be talked about on the planet right now. Um, Dr. Shafali, who writes about conscious parenting. Um yeah, look, I think I'm inspired by those people. Um, I think people like Oprah, you know, that takes their trauma and, you know, you know, kind of beats all odds and just, you know, an mm. incredible life. I'm talking about living to your full potential. Mm. Um, yeah, seeing her live and talking about her story was definitely a highlight for me. You've seen her live. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. Yeah, it just she's so... I can't even begin to describe what what Oprah is to me. She, yeah, massive inspiration and just very authentic and the fact that she does talk about her trauma so openly and and that also helps millions of other people. Exactly. You know, but to actually do that is actually very courageous. Mm. It is. Yeah. How about favourite books? Have you read Russell Brand's book? I have. I mean, I think he's written a few, has he? 
I'm not sure. Oh, I've I've read, I've read Revolution, yes, okay. and I love it. I yeah. love it. I think everybody should actually okay. listen to or read it. Um, look, as you know, I spent my childhood in head in a book, and I'm always reading. I think um, I only read at the moment nonfiction. Um, my last fictional stuff was Harry Potter, which I was obsessed with. <laughs> um, but I love things like Ageless Body. Um, Timeless Mind by Chopra, um, but autobi- autobiography of a yogi, um, Paramahansa, Hansa, um, his autobiography, um, his encounters with Eastern and Western sort of spiritual figures. Jay Krishnamurti I love. Um, he's another, like, you know, I'm always into the spiritual self-helpy quantum physics stuff like I do like the Bruce Lipton's and the Joe Dispenza's um I'm really Bruce Lipton's cool yeah Mm. and I I sort of bring a lot of that quantum stuff into Mm. my sessions um I'm book crazy I, I, I'd be incredibly wealthy if I didn't spend money on books and learning. <laughs> like I'm, with, you. I'm with your girlfriend. <laughs> but how much happiness does learning and oh. reading books give you? I mean, I I love staying at home and reading a book on a Saturday night. And if I'm on my own, that is perfectly fine. But I have a book that's keeping me company. Yeah, yeah. I'm the yeah. same. We can feel connectedness in yeah. that. And I – um. Yeah, I can spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a course and not think about it. But if mm. I have to buy a, a jumper for fifty dollars, I go, <laughs> "Could I have got that cheaper?" <laughs> you probably could have. <laughs> yeah. So, and songs that make you happy. Look, anything to do with Motown reminds me of Motown. Mm, reminds me of um, my, you know, the good old days with my family and the house that my parents used to have and dancing there. For some crazy reason, the the, the song that uh, gets me into expansiveness is Chinese Wall by Philip Bailey. Um, don't ask me why. Expansiveness. So wow. I actually listen to that every morning as I'm kind of reading my intention for life. And then I love Chalices, which are Hindu devotional songs, so I tend to also do a bit okay. of that. But I, I'm music mad like you as well, so I listen to Lots of music. And music is always on at my place unless I'm having a weekend of silence. Um, Do you intentionally have weekends of silence? Yes, I do. I have now. I'm committed to um, one weekend of silence every month. What does that mean? What do you do? It means I don't um, do any – I'm not on devices at all, no messages, no work, nothing. I don't do any phone calls, no TV, no movies, um, no reading. Um, it's actually just silence. It's a lot of sitting. I might do some yoga poses. Um, I might go for a walk, but I don't talk to anybody. How do you feel when you come out of that weekend? Well, I mean, you know, sometimes I want to commit myself to a mental asylum because I go, wow, there's some crazy thinking there. But what's really good about it is, you know, the, the dirt, they say, comes up from the bottom of the river. And so, you know, all the thinking that comes up, you go, whoa, I thought I'd dealt with that. Um, So it's, look, I think silence is the way we listen to, we really hear and listen to self and God. And we, you know, become really um, mindful about just observing thinking. So, yeah, I do it one, I'm going to be doing, I did one in, um, just a few weeks ago, I found it really powerful. 
and then I'm doing one July, August, like, you know, all the way up until the end of the year. Good on you. That's Just inspiring. to get my life a bit more, um, I think, um, just a bit more sacredness and a bit more connectedness, mm. you know. So, so yeah, music is always on unless I'm in silence. Yeah. I think that's what people, I think overwhelmingly we're lacking silence and sol- solitude and being happy with solitude, being being happy to be alone and be in that moment on your own is I think what people are lacking because people are always expected to be on, attend this event and do that, you know, out of obligation. And one thing I found during this COVID period in talking to a lot of my patients and asking them, each and every one of them, how they've coped through it, mm. a lot of them have said they love the fact that they have not had to go to things that they normally would have had to go to, like that christening or that wedding or yes. that party or that whatever it is, and more time to themselves. Yeah, and I think it's just, it you know, getting limiting distraction or eradicating distraction you really allows you to be with the stuff that you don't want to really be with. Um, and I think you've got to prepare yourself for it. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, it's an easy thing to do silence or to do this just, you know, quietness, but I think, you know, just kind of opening up to, to more of it is mm. is transforming because it gets mm. you to um, open up those parts of self that maybe you didn't know were there. Or even maybe challenging people to having at least one day a weekend of, of silence and solitude. Because some people would go, a whole weekend? No, I can't do that. Yeah. Like even even an afternoon. Oh, yeah, a, you know, a, an you know. hour. I mean, I, I think even just, you know, a dinner, um, you know, try and do a dinner for 30 minutes with the family in silence mm. and see how different it is, um, Wow. you know, eating food or, you know, you can start to do that with family and kids in, as well, you know, mm. just start to make it part of life, mm. yeah, afternoon, hour. Yeah. Okay. I think this weekend, uh, this week, I'll go to mum and dad's and and ask my siblings if we can, when my nieces sit around the table and not speak. I think that would go down pretty well. Not. Yeah, we do Sunday <laughs> night dinners and we manage about seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the middle of it, my nephew is always like, "Oh, that's it. Are we finished yet?" <laughs> seven minutes better than nothing. <laughs> better than nothing. Your dream collaboration. Oh, goodness. You asked some tough questions. <laughs> um, Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Mm. Wow. And um, look, I think Marianne Williamson. But I think the collaboration for me would be good to have the old and the new. So I think ultimately it would be great to have like leaders within the Indigenous community um, and, you know, leaders within, you know, um, you know, that represent other communities just so we have like a bit of like representation of of all that is um I'd, and yeah and I think when when I think of collaboration I would like to do a group collaboration with um you know just like-minded people but I think if we're going to say dream and ultimate collaboration then it would be spiritual leaders like you know Marianne Williamson, Jean Houston, Russell Brand I mean I think who wouldn't want to collaborate with Jacinta Arden on something mm. um so I think, you know, I always think of also like the social and political collaborations as well because I think that also is would be exciting as well as the work. But working with people like you is dream collaboration. Oh, thanks, Avanti. <laughs> Touche. My fellow book buddy, book obsessed, course obsessed. Well, you are more obsessed than me and that's, that's, something, that's saying something. <laughs> 
Now, my my last question is uh, top tips that you can share with your fellow psychologists slash singologists. Yeah. (laughs) Where are they? About keeping on top of mental health. Mm. Again, I found this, I find this a tough question. How do you keep on top of your mental health? Silence weekends. Um, look, the thing with the um, sharing with fellow psychologists, I think I, I'd be hopefully speaking to psychologists that are kind of um, have the same, you know, paradigm as me in terms of the spiritual stuff. So I think I'd be talking about how really we can't just be talking about mental health. We've got to be talking about um, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health you know, and, and really talking about well-being and its totality. And as we do that and realise that we're we're kind of um, looking at all parts of self, it's like how do we look at all parts of the environment and community? So what's the system look like? So I think in having a conversation about mental health, I'd be wanting to have a conversation about what's our social, economic and political system like because I really don't think um, mental health is really going to improve that much without us really making changes on a on an economic and a social level. Um, and I think, you know, what's going on on the planet today with, with movements like Me Too and Black Lives Matter and all those movements, which is kind of like this collective um, trauma that's rising to the surface, I think all of those um, wa- those are going to be important ways for all of us to really address mental health properly. You know, I can definitely give top tips on mental health, like do a meditation practice, you know, connect to self, go and walk in nature. You know, there's lots of tips, um, doing, doing conscious, curious inquiry. You know, there's lots of things, but I think on a fundamental level, I want, would want to be speaking to more than just psychologists and I would want to be speaking about social, political, economic um, changes that have to come. Avanti Singh. Prime Minister. You're a Prime Minister. <laughs> oh, God, absolutely not. Avanti Singh for Prime Minister. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. It was actually quite fun. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Avanti Singh, that it's inspired you to breathe, create and connect. Share this episode with someone if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Funny Mechanic channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview, or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay Fanny Tabulous. Listener.